Hello, I'm Ben Keane, your host, and you're listening to a Virgin Startup podcast produced with support from our friends at Virgin Money. This podcast is a recording of a meetup which took place in 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. Virgin Startup meetups are free events designed for founders just like you to hear from incredible people and network with like-minded entrepreneurs. We hope that you come away from them feeling inspired and with some practical action which you can take into your own startup. So, on to this episode, and this really was one of my personal highlights of the last few years. The first of our In Conversation With series, I had the thrill and honour to interview the one and only Simon Sinek. Simon needs little introduction, but for those who haven't come into contact with his inspiring TED Talks or books, Simon's pioneered some of the ways we think about business today and has led the way in helping founders across the world build purposeful businesses. He shot to stardom from his TED talk on starting with why, uncovering how consumers don't buy what you do, but why you do it. If you haven't watched the talk, we'll link it in the description. In this chat, we covered a lot of ground and Simon shared some deeply moving experiences of his own, along with inspiring and practical advice for the hundreds of founders watching online. And I promise you, you'll want to listen to the end for a surprise guest who joined us on stage. I loved this conversation and hope you will too. As ever, please do subscribe and share these podcasts with other founders. I'm now really excited to introduce um, a, a man who's had a significant amount of influence on the world. Uh, Simon Sinek, welcome. Good evening. How are you? Good to see you. Very well. But these are the 807 Virgin Startup founders who are cheering your arrival. What a, warm, what a warm welcome. What a warm welcome. They sound warm every single time. Um, so where are you, Simon? Where are you joining us from? I'm in Los Angeles, California. Okay. And it looks like you're, you're standing up. Are you ready for action? Is that part of how you, you do this kind of thing online? It, I find the energy is better. It's easier to stand up than it is to sit down. And it doesn't hurt my back as much throughout the day. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, in this... my dining room chair <laughs> for work. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us um, today. I know that you've been a, a supporter of, of the Virgin community and the, and the entrepreneurial community uh, that we're part of and Virgin Startup. We have over, I can see in front of me, 800 uh, founders in the room with us tonight. So Amazing. we want to just dive in and, and you know, a lot of them know your work. They've, they've watched the, the TEDx talks, uh, you know, even the really cranky one at the start where it was like the one that spread around the world. Or even it, it just proves that you don't need to have great audio to, uh, to change the world. Um, and, and they've read your books. But as, as you talk about, it's not so much the reading and the, and the watching, it's the, it's the conversations that will happen off the back of this. So, um, so hopefully we can spark that. And I wanted to start with the, the picture today because the world has changed um, for some people significantly, um, but for all of us in some way in the last few months. And for, for those of us who are uh, building small, fragile little uh, organizations and ideas, it feels like the idea of creating value and, and, and revenues, even just to keep the thing going, let alone to pay ourselves or employees, it's got so much harder. Um, how have things changed from the, from the entrepreneur's perspective for you in the last few months? Um, well, like everyone, you know, everyone's been forced to reinvent and, re and reevaluate whatever strategy or, or plan they had. You know, the old joke, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Um, <laughs> uh, and um, you, there's two ways to approach disruption. Um, panic is one. Um, and the other one is opportunity. Um, and and uh, this is one of the things that I found really remarkable. And the companies that I've seen that have been uh, successfully pivoting versus those that are really struggling to pivot, there's a, common, there's a couple of common themes. Um, the ones that are really, that have really had a hard time pivoting have put themselves at the center of the equation. How are we going to survive? How are we going to get money? Um, the ones that are having a better time pivoting have put their customer at the center of the equation. We have something of value. How are we going to find new ways to get it to them? They still want what we have. Um, so they're thinking, and, and it's really driving much more uh, innovation and ideas because they're thinking about somebody else rather than themselves. It's not a self-preservation or panic thing. Which I guess is an old business lesson, right? Being customer-centric, empathizing with the person you're serving. So, so why does it take a crisis or a whole shift like this to, to, for us to relearn that? 
Well, I mean, crisis is the great revealer. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of good that comes from crisis, which is now everything is laid out bare. In an instant, we could see who the good leaders were and who the ineffective leaders were. We could see who had the strong cultures and who had the who didn't have the strong cultures. Who were really customer focused, despite everything they may have said. Um, so crisis is the great revealer, and I, and I think that's really fascinating. Um, uh, the other thing that I've seen successful, the, the pivots done successfully, is um, is they instead of sort of uh, looking at the things they were doing and doubling down on their old business model, they thought to themselves, what could we do or what can we do? In other words, whether you're a startup or not, whether you have any success or not, everybody is pretending that they're a startup. You know, the successful ones, which is even big companies, if they're if they're having a good time pivoting, they're saying, okay, everything's changed. What if we were to start our business today? as opposed to just trying to do what we used to do, but online, um, which is what I think, you know, the ones that are struggling to do it. The, the, one of my favorite examples is a pizzeria. So it's a good example for this, for this group because it's, it's one shop, you know. It's a pizzeria in Chicago called Demo's Pizza. And um, they made 70% of their revenues from selling slices. So they didn't have an infrastructure for delivery or anything like that. Um, and so when COVID hit, clearly they're not allowed to sell pizza right at the beginning. If you remember, I mean, restaurants were completely shut down. Um, and so instead of just saying, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? How are we going to sell more pizza? Uh, they looked at the resources they had and thought, what could we do with the resources we've got? So one of the things they have is a pizza oven. And anyone else would say, well, a pizza oven's for making pizza. They said a pizza oven burns a thousand degrees, which is a lot hotter uh, than than a regular oven. What can you do with something that burns that hot? Turns out you can bend industrial grade uh, plastics at that temperature. And so they started buying sheets of industrial grade plastics and bending it and, and making face shields that they could sell to hospitals. So they've completely reinvented their business. And whether they go back to selling pizza or end up having two businesses at the end of this um, is, is they have amazing opportunity. But I just love the creative thinking that they looked at the resources they had said, that they had and said, what could we do that meets a market demand and we can fill that demand with the resources we've got? Brilliant thing. And they have, as, as Seth Godin says, uh, now something worth remarking on. To, the, 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 you, exactly you are telling right. the story. And a similar thing yeah. happened here in the UK with a number of the breweries uh, hipster breweries suddenly started producing hand sanitizer. Brewdog was the first one because it's they can make it right. And I love that. I love that reframe of like, what what assets do we have, and what can we do to serve our serve our community or, or help solve this bigger problem? And I guess that links back to those. Um, if we think about entrepreneurial skills or, or the assets that are hopefully inbuilt in us a little bit. Um, for those of us on this path in life, which of those really is coming to the fore right now? And how can we hone them? Because we talk about resilience a lot, don't we? But it's sort of at a different, it's it's a different thing. There's one thing going, okay, how do we change our business model here? To The other thing is like, oh, the money's running out in three weeks instead of three months. What do we do with the skill set? Well, one of the things we have to do is we have to ask for help. You know, I think one of the big mistakes that almost every entrepreneur makes young in their career um, and some unfortunately never learn the lesson is um, if you're the founder of the company, if you're the leader of the company, you don't have to know all the answers and you don't have to pretend that you do. Mm. But so many of us put pressure on ourselves. I've definitely made that mistake. Um, uh, I learned the lesson the hard way. Um, uh, but so many of us think that because we're the founders or we're in the top job, we have to have all the answers. We have to know where we're going. We have to know what to do. We have to know the new strategy. We have to know the new plan. And the answer is you just don't. Um, and none of us is smart enough by ourselves to know all those answers. And so to include the team not only opens up and gives some transparency, which is uh, uh, refreshing, but it also makes people feel like they're in control of their own future, which is wonderful. So one of the things that we did um, is I, um, we got the whole team together and I offered a vision of where I want to go. You know, I, there's still a vision. It's still based on my just cause to build a world in which the vast majority of people wake up every single morning inspired, feel safe wherever they are, and end the day fulfilled by the work that they do. That's that's that's, that's the, the vision tiny vision. Yeah, that, that's the tiny vision, right? And we made most of our income from doing predominantly live events, me and others, teaching classes, mm. workshops, things like that, speeches, things like that. Clearly, that dried up, um, and there's just not a huge market for just like lots of people to give you know keynote addresses. Uh, 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 online. And so we, we did a pivot. Um, and so I gave a vision of the world that I wanted to do that I knew that we had to do something good online, but what was it going to be? And so we gave a couple of criteria. 
Um, I wanted uh, every single employee, and they could work in teams if they wanted, but I wanted every single employee to bring 15 ideas each in 48 hours. And people thought it was nuts. Um, and the reason not four or five ideas, my, my friend Jen Waldman came up with this whole 15 thing, but the reason not four or five ideas is because uh, their ideas will all be the same and they'll be the same four or five ideas that I came up with. The senior folks did not partake in this. Okay, so it was almost like a blind um, idea generation. Right, yeah. and um, uh, and they panicked that it was 48 hours, but I wanted the pressure. Yeah. Um, and the good ideas weren't the, the first, second, or third. They were the 11th, 12th, 13th. Yeah. And, I, and before we started, I gave a little speech. I said, um, this is about contribution, not competition. Um, uh, that uh, it didn't matter if you have six ideas and somebody else has none. Um, if you have none and somebody else has six, say thank you because they might have saved your job. You know, uh, it's not about, uh, and I'm not keeping score. And the other thing that I know is if somebody has six ideas and you have none, odds are they're a good idea person, but a terrible executor. <laughs> and the person who may have had none is really the best person qualified to execute on all those ideas. So don't worry, I'm actually paying attention to who, who my operators are and who my idea people are because I need you guys to work in tandem. Yeah. And so I didn't just go around the room. I got two or three ideas from this person, two or three ideas from that group, two or three ideas from this person. And I invited everybody to contribute, to make the ideas better. By the time we got to the end, the, everybody had plus one all the ideas. Nobody could claim total ownership of any of the ideas. We, we all, all contributed. Um, and, we, and we put the ideas in three buckets, uh, green, yellow, red. It was not qualitative. Um, green meant an idea that we could execute this week. Um, yellow is an idea that would, it requires a little more work, maybe a couple of weeks. And red, no matter how good the idea, too much money, too much time, we just can't do it. We're just going to put it in a, on a shelf and deal with it another day. And then we turned to all the green ideas and executed because we knew we could do those in a, in, a, in a week. And our standard was what's the cheapest, simplest thing we could do with the highest probability of success. And that's where we started. And, and were and, those uh, green ideas, uh, Simon, were they tied back to, was it like uh, revenue, like biggest margin, um, most people impacted? I know that's the grand vision, but how do you link which ideas back to the, to the purpose? So all of them had to, all of them, 100% of the ideas, whether they were green, yellow, or red, helped advance towards the vision, but they also were about re uh, uh, pivoting our company uh, 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 to this new online form, obviously. And we played to our strengths. You know, uh, we believe in human relationships and we're already good at the live thing. So we started with, with live online classes. We didn't do recorded classes. Everything was live. Um, and, you know, some of the workshops that we used to do in, half a day or full day, you know, they had to reinvent them to make them an hour and a half or two hours. So there was work to be done. Um, remember, when the definition of pivot is, is sort of going around some sort of center. So our cause and our purpose was still, our, was still the thing. And so the question is, is what could we do around that um, to, to change? So we didn't wholly reinvent the business. We pretended we were starting our business from scratch in this marketplace. And the question is, if we were starting our business today, what business would we be building? Yeah. Please give me the idea. And that, that's um, a, that, that creative energy when you, when you see it bubbling away does bring the optimism and, and the momentum that you need, don't you, to go from, oh, my God, yeah. it's all falling apart to wouldn't it, the world be wonderful if dot, dot, dot. Yeah. And, and even though, look, we still all had the fears and there was obviously people were afraid. And I was very honest. Like we, we, you know, we told them how much runway we had. Like, you know, we had some time. Um, but we didn't have endless amounts of time. Um, you know, we were exploring uh, sources of, of uh, other sources of funding just in case, you know, like we took out a line of credit, for example, which we hadn't had before. Um, and we were doing the best we could um, to, to give us as much time to give it a, to give it a try. Um, uh, and it was great. And we looked, I mean, we, when we went through cost savings, we didn't look at people's salaries first. I mean, we went through every line item and like we, we, we were finding like subscriptions to magazines or to online forms that nobody, we didn't even know we had. I mean, we were like, we were downgrading our internet, you know? I mean, we were like, we were looking for every little penny we could save, um, uh, on the margins because it's amazing how much wastage there is on the sides that you really never pay attention to. And this is one of the things you know, if you have any kind of success, you, you get any kind of money, it makes you a little bit lazy. Yeah. You know, success allows you to be lazy and a little bit wasteful. 
So again, crisis is the great revealer. We were able to eliminate some inefficiencies and some stupid spending, um, which we probably should have done ages ago, um, but we were forced to. So you, so you, was, Marie, Kondo, really you Marie Kondo'd your budgets and then um, decluttered a little, and that always feels good. Um, and and I, I'm curious, and a lot of, we've had a lot of questions on this on this theme, which is, do you, have you observed both with your own audience and community, but, the, but in the wider world in the last few months, a shift in, a potential shift in culture around growth at all costs. So, so the Silicon Valley, uh, you've just started alluding to the kind of more lean startup experimental approach, but the big, the biggest Silicon Valley model that's been exported so successfully around the world of like raise, 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 freemium business models, especially tech related ones like scale, 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 um, and then figure it out later. And we hear the good news stories. We hear the Spotify's, the Instagram's, or the good news business stories. Um, has that, has that, is this coming to an end and are we going to be going back to like, let's build sustainable business models. Let's take our time. Let's not burn out. And, and culture as a consequence working out maybe a little better. Is it, is that like just a fun thing to talk about or is it really happening? No, I really hope that happens. Um, you know, the reason we call, you know, the Airbnbs and the Spotify's unicorns is because they're really, really, really rare. Mm. Like most companies don't get multi-billion dollar valuations. Most companies don't get sold. And the motivation for that, that, that model, there is no study, no article, no case study at all that says that um, growth at all costs mindset is builds a successful business. If anything, it does the total opposite. That model is perpetuated by investment uh, uh, by investors, by private equity and, and, uh, and venture capital, because they want you to grow, because they need the valuations, because they need to flip the business in three to five, because that's how they make money. It has nothing to do with you and your company, nothing. And so unless, unless you have a selfishly minded uh, founder who's only trying to put lipstick on the pig so they can sell it and make themselves rich, um, in which case, was it ever going to be a great company in the first place? Um, so I think the growth at all, at all costs, like, you know, the question, when, when, when I ask somebody, what's your strategy, they say growth. My question is always why, what, 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 what do you, what does growth help you achieve? I mean, if you're trying to advance a cause, you know, growth at all costs can do so much damage along the way that the thing's going to die, you know, in, in 10 years, uh, and you won't advance towards the cause. Why not build something that, and, and I don't like the word sustainable. I like the word resilient, right? Because sustainable means that we can go through crisis, we'll go through a storm, and we will hunker down and we will come out the same, right? Resilient to me uh, is we came into this storm and we came out completely different. We came out stronger. We reinvented. That's the point of the we storm. We adapted. Yeah. Um, and I think a growth, growth at all cost mindset is, is a very unhealthy mindset that is largely born out of, uh, you know, theories from the 80s and 90s that have been largely exaggerated today. And as I said, perpetuated not by founders and entrepreneurs, but perpetuated by, by, by outside investors who, who actually are more interested in their success than ours. Sure. Uh, we hear that message loud and clear. And, and it does echo what we've seen in the Virgin Startup community that a lot of, a lot of uh, even without real, us really pushing or mentoring people in this direction, but like I'm starting this business because I want to solve this problem in the world. Um, and now I just want to figure out a business model around it. And yes, we've heard a lot about it. You, know, well, you gave us the line. It's not what you do. It's why you do it. Right. But um uh, and that's a great philosophy, but actually, it feels like now there's a that's a tipping point. And there's the B Corp movement, which in the UK is spread is spreading like really fast, um, and so many great case studies. Um, is this something that you feel like is moving into the mainstream, where it, uh, in terms of consumer mindset, there's like if it doesn't solve from, in other words, uh, Elvis and Crest is great. Um, UK business, which turns old fire hoses into into wallets, basically that we're going to get done. Turns into these beautiful wallets, and and the founder of Elvis and Crest says, if you're not starting, if you're in a privileged enough position to be able to choose to start a business, and you're not trying to solve a problem, or you're, instead of like creating problems down the line through your supply chain, then you should just not do it. Do you feel like we're at that point? I think there's a lot more awareness of of the flaws of the old business model. I mean, I've talked a lot about the form of capitalism that we have these days is broken. Um, and as I said before, it's largely built out of uh, 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 theories that were uh, uh, 
popularized in the 80s and 90s, but born out of the theories of, of Milton Friedman, the, the American economist in the 1970s, who theorized that the purpose of business, the responsibility of business, was to maximize profit within the bounds of the law. That was it. The, that the whole purpose of business was to maximize profit? Well, what about ethics? You know, what about, what about contribution? At the end of the day, value, when a company says we offer value, that's not a calculation, right? Very often it's a feeling. Uh, you know, this thing is worth, worth more to me. Um, uh, and very often uh, 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 value is also some sort of enhancing our lives in some way. You're making our lives easier or better, or you're making the world uh, better. I mean, that's what value is. It's, value is about a contribution. And, you know, I commend the younger generations because they're looking at their parents and grandparents and saying, the way you built your business, that makes me really uncomfortable. And to your point, you know, whether it's the B Corp or other things, even folks like me, like I shouldn't have a career. It's embarrassing that I have a career. I talk about trust and cooperation. There should be no demand for my work. But there is, uh, which means there's an opportunity. And everybody uh, believes in doing things that matter. Everybody wants our work to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. I think that the younger generations are just talking about it more loudly. So yes, I'm very, very bullish that, that, that we're gonna go back to the kind of capitalism that actually uh, prioritizes a customer, puts a person at the front and center and, uh, 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 and is built to, to be resilient and, 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 and offer value I to the I feel world. that positive bullishness, Simon. That's brilliant here. I was listening to um, uh, one of your podcast uh, episodes, a little bit of optimism, uh, Simon's podcast earlier with Helene and Seth Godin. And there were two things, that st- two little quotes that just stuck with me from that, um, talking about this theme. Um, and Seth said, I didn't set out to corner the market. I set out to change the market. And I love that kind of just reframe on like, how you approach business. Like, I want to change this. I don't want to just like grab it. And then Helene said on having an impact, don't change, don't set out to change the world, uh, change your world. Uh, That was your summary of the conversation. And it just, the thing that that, that sort of helps with that, I think for for those of us and we feel like, oh, we're just, we're on our own. It's real. We're not on our own, but we're only small here. Um, It's an ocean of problems. Um, It is this feeling of like, oh, I don't have to change everything at once. I don't have to grow everywhere at once. It's it's like I just have to influence the next the minimum viable audience that Seth talks about. How do you how do you take that mindset into your into your work every day? So I, I'm a I'm an absolute devotee um, to the concept of the law of diffusion of innovations. Um, it's a it's a theory from the 1960s. Um, everybody knows some of the terminology. You know, uh, most people know some of the terminology. The old bell curve. You know. Um, and across the, the standard deviation, that's what the bell curve is, um, there's always high performers and low performers. You know, it's, that, that's what it looks like. It, regardless of the population, whether it's a classroom or an entire university or the entire nation, you know, it's balanced across the bell curve. Um, and what the law of diffusion tells us is that the first two and a half percent-ish of our population are our innovators. These are your Steve Jobs, your Richard Branson's, you know, you're the, the big idea people, the, the visionaries, we call them, right? Then the next 12 to 13 percent, 13 and a half percent of your popula- population are your early adopters. These are the people who are willing to try something new, spend a premium, uh, suffer some sort of inconvenience to be a part of something or buy something that reflects who they are. These are the people who stand in the queue to see the new Star Wars movie for 24 hours, even though you can just go to. We love these people. We love these people. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and, and it's, it's, it's early adopters of mentality, right? And then you have your majority. Um, uh, and the majority is a little more cynical, a little more practical. Uh, they care about things like price, quality, service, and features, and what's in it for me. Um, and we all want mass market success and mass market stability. That's what everybody wants. We want the spread of an idea, the spread of a product, success for our own company, whatever it is, which is the middle of the yeah. bell. And, the, and there's an irony to this, which is you actually don't point your efforts at the middle because the uh, majority don't like trying new things. They won't try something until somebody else has tried it first. And that's where the early adopters come in. And so that's how I built my career. It wasn't with marketing and it wasn't with PR and it wasn't with all of these things. It was, I was absolutely devoted to the law of diffusion. So I only wanted to work with people who wanted to work with me. So for example, um, when things were just getting going, um, uh, a guy called me up. I remember this conversation. I remember where was where I was when the when the call came in. This guy called me up early, early days, 
Um, and remember, I didn't have two pennies to rub together. I was living paycheck to paycheck. You know, all of the all of the startup you know stories. I had that story too. Um, and this guy called me up and says, I've, I've, I've heard about you from somebody else. I've heard about your why work. He said, convince me why I should hire you. Now, as soon as somebody says, convince me why I should hire you, what they're telling me is they're in the bell, right? They're not an early adopter. So I said to him, don't. Now, I needed every penny I could get, but I realized that working with him, he would make me convince him any time I gave him a piece of advice. He made me, he was cynical about everything. And it wouldn't be worth the money and I'd be wasting my time and taking it away from, from other people I should be working with. The people who I chose to work with are the ones who said, you're onto something. I don't think it's perfect, but I think it's really interesting. Yeah. Let's do something together. And that whole idea of together. And I would take less money to work with those clients and turn away uh, sometimes more money to work with the clients that I knew weren't early adopters. And it was this obsession with the early adopter because what happens is the early adopters are more likely to tell other people about my work, which is way more credible than any piece of advertising yeah. or marketing. And so my work spread by word of mouth because, because I was obsessed with that left side of the curve. And so if you look at almost every successful social movement or anything that ever sort of reaches a tipping point, because by the way, that's what a tipping point is, when you reach about 15 to 18% market penetration, yeah. it tips. Because now the majority doesn't feel like there's a risk anymore because somebody else has already popularized it. Or made you know it what I love head. listening to this is a reminder, Simon, is the glint in your eye when you go from the people in the middle of the curve to the people on the, the edge and they're like, they're ready for you. And it's just so much better spending time with these people. Now, talking of people, Simon. And they're still my favorite. They are. They are favorite. They help us get started. Um, talking of uh, brilliant people, we have now got four Virgin Startup founders coming to join us. And first up, we've got Diana, uh, who is the founder of MYO and Creative Jungle, and they are two startup businesses that encourage adults to be more creative. Uh, so Diana, come and join us on stage. Here she is. Hi. Um, welcome, Diana. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's been amazing hearing you guys talk. I particularly love that point on, you know, changing your world after oh, that really really hit me um and so my question linked to that is you know we covered that we're facing huge challenges the pandemic a recession increasing awareness of social increasing awareness of the social inequality what do you, what role do you think small businesses have to play in tackling these challenges and kind of second to that is what role do you think creativity has within business in helping solve these problems Great question. Nice to meet you, Diana. Um, um, so disruption is a gift, right? Um, and because so let me take a, a quick aside. So one of the things I learned from Dr. Carson, bless him, he just died on Friday. He's the originator of finite and infinite games. Um, uh, is the difference between finite thinking and infinite thinking as it relates to create creativity? So finite-minded thinkers. All of the thinking is done in the past, right? Uh, lots of plans, right? Um, uh, this is why athletes um, uh, practice, 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 and soldiers train and train and train and train. It's so that they there are no surprises. So they're pre prepared for everything. And you hear them say that. They say, I didn't have to think. I just, there was muscle memory. Or I didn't have to think. I just relied on my, my training kicked in, right? This is, you actually hear them say there was no thinking because all the thinking has been done in the past. And this is why finite-minded thinkers fear surprises and fear uncertainty. Infinite-minded thinking, thinking begins at the moment of disruption. It be, and so infinite-minded thinkers love surprises and love uncertainty because they see opportunity. Because they're not worried, oh my God, we don't have a plan for that, we don't know what to do. They go, oh my God, something new, what could we do, right? So, uh, and so I think this is a magical time. Yes, there's a massive amount of upheaval. Yes, it plays us emotionally. Yes, we still have to look after our mental health. I'm not, I'm not saying this eliminates that. What I'm saying is from a business perspective and a creativity perspective, you, small businesses, all businesses, have opportunities now that they didn't have a year ago where you can try things that are completely off the wall, completely different. They don't even have to be perfect. They can be a little bit a little bit sort of half-assed and, and broken. Everybody's a little more yeah. patient with things that are imperfect right now. Um, and so there's a massive, a massive opportunity in all this disruption. 
Um, you don't have to do it the way it was, was done. You don't have to do it the way you're being told it has to be done. You can do it the way you think it ha you want to do it. Massive. And so the second question is, where does creativity come in? It's all about creativity. And creativity is the ability to see patterns in chaos. That's what creativity is. It's not about relying on what we used to do. It's about imagining what we could do. So yes, it's a time for creativity more Talking than ever. Talking of which, the next founder we have is Carl Frank, who calls himself an acne specialist, and he's the founder of Frank's Remedies. Here he is. Uh, Carl, welcome welcome to Virgin Startup. Hi, Ben. Hi, Simon. Thanks for having me. Hi, Carl. How are you? Nice to meet you. Um, so my question for you, Simon, is younger people have been here, especially hard during this pandemic, and on a general basis, education has been disrupted. Uh, the jobs market is really difficult. And there is a lot of uncertainty for small business owners, to say the least. Um, many people, including myself, um, see you as an unshakable optimist. But um, why and how should younger founders feel positive about the future? And how do we start to build for a post-pandemic world? So <laughs> sort of why we have to be optimistic about the future is really about a mindset. Um, and, and this is, to me, the difference between positivity and optimism. You know, positivity is blind. Everything's fine, everything's good, everything's good, everything's fine, nothing to see here. That's not helpful, because clearly that's not true. Um, optimism, to me, is, um, is the undying belief that the future is bright, but it is not a denial of the current state. So optimism is saying, we are in a dark tunnel. This is difficult, and I don't know how long we're going to be in this tunnel, but I can see a light at the end of this tunnel, and that's what I'm focused on. I'm focused on the light. Um, and we, I don't know how long it's going to take to get there or how far away it is, but I know if we work together, we will get there and we will be healthier when we come out of it. And that's what optimism is to me. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mindset. Um, uh, and even in every business, I mean, I was talking to an executive the other day. I said, how are you running your business right now? And he says, we're just feeling our way in the dark and sort of trying to see what works. And that's kind of what everybody's doing. But if you feel your way in the dark without vision, without, without a, a, a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, you, you'll do a bunch of things that might work. But when the lights come on eventually, it's going to look like this. And you would have wasted a lot of time and energy. That's, you know, and, and if you have optimism, if you have vision, you, you're still feeling your way in the dark. But at least you have a direction, which is I'm feeling my way in the dark. So instead of being like this, it looks more yeah. like that. Um, uh, and so it, it provides focus. I think optimism is really important. The question he also asked that Kyle asked was how? Well, optimism is not something that you can just find in yourself. I think that it, it comes from the quality of our relationships. You know, um, when you have colleagues who um, are scared, our optimism gives them hope. And the more hope that they feel, the more optimism they feel, the more they're able to contribute and keep us optimistic as well. And it's a, a you know, it's kind of a give and take because we're not going to be on top of the world every day. I've definitely had my dark days and I've called friends and I'm saying, I, I've said I'm having a behind day. Yeah. And we just talk, you know, um, uh, and it's okay. Um, we're all human. So, you know, though I'm an unshakable optimist, it, it, you know, it doesn't mean that it's like, I'm, I'm like, on a drug that I'm, that I'm always blind to reality and I lack emotion and I'm not reacting to the trauma of COVID or, and all the other things that are happening in the world right now. Um, so I think um, one of the things that, that I think is difficult for a younger generation is that, and, and I've talked about this before, which is, which is there is a, an increased addiction to social media and, and, and cell phones. Um, there, there are some habits that were missed, you know, some lessons that were missed on how to, build coping mechanisms, how to deal with stress. Um, and just like an alcoholic in a time of stress goes to the bottle, too many people in a time of stress go to social media. They obsess with their Instagram feeds or they go online and start broadcasting how they feel, which is not really being vulnerable. That's just broadcasting how you feel. Um, uh, and uh, um, even dating to some degree, you know? Uh, you know, you can just swipe right and get a date and a lot of people never learn the skills of like walking up to somebody and be like, hey, and like being told no, you know, and that dealing with stress and coping mechanisms and picking yourself back up. And so my fear is that a lot of people who are struggling with, um, with the darkness that exists now are doing it alone. And, um, and you can't do that. You, you, have, you have to call someone, not for them to fix your problems, 
Um, but you have to be able to call people and be vulnerable. You have to call someone and say, I'm, yeah. I'm struggling. I'm not happy. And they have to go, all they have to do is, or, and if we're the ones who get that phone call, the only thing we have to do is say, I'm here, go on, tell me more, you know? Um, I'll tell you a quick story that sort of hammers home the point. So I had the opportunity a few years ago uh, to go to Afghanistan with the US Air Force. I did work with the mobility forces. These are the people who fly the tankers and the cargo planes, uh, not the bombers and the fighters, the, the, just the, the, those kinds of planes. And the general in charge said, you know, you've gotten to know us. I would really like it if you would be willing to go to Iraq or Afghanistan to see our men and women do their, do their job. I would just, it would mean a lot to me and then bring back some insights. But, and so I said, yes, and I had no specific responsibility. And I flew through to, to Germany and then to Afghanistan. And I went um, with two escorts and everything on our trip went wrong. The base came on a rocket attack 10 minutes after we landed. You know, we, we, we couldn't get on a plane home because our flight, we got bumped off the flight. Um, and I never told my parents that I was going uh, because I didn't want them to panic and worry. And now here I was stuck. The, only, the next flight we could get on, I was only supposed to be there for 24 hours. The next flight we could get on was not for another four days. What am I going to do? Call my parents and be like, hey, I'm in Afghanistan. I'm not going to be coming home. You know? And so I panicked. Um, long story short, we did end up getting on a plane home because there was a plane that had been redirected. Uh, it was a new flight that wasn't in the schedule that we were able to get on. We were the only three passengers on this plane. And the reason it was a, a, an unscheduled flight is because it was bringing home a fallen soldier. So I flew home in a huge cargo plane with a single flag draped casket strapped to the middle of the aircraft, um, which changed my life. I'll tell you that. It changed, it, it completely changed my point of view in the world. Like, the, the awesome gratitude I had to, to bring him home, you know, who, who he understood service more than I will ever understand service. Um, anyway, part of my deal with the Air Force is that I would go back to headquarters and report out on, I would report out on my um, experience and any insights that I could offer them to help them Im improve and grow. And so I did about a week later, I went back to headquarters with all of the colonels and all of the generals sitting in the room and I stood in the front on the stage and I told them about the things I saw and the things I learned and the things that, and then I got to the story of bringing home the flag draped casket and all the emotions were still in, incredibly raw and what led up to that. And I wasn't sure I could tell the story. And so I did. And as I started to tell the story, I started to cry. I started to well up. And if this was the private sector, if this was a business or just a, 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 a conference that I was speaking at, somebody would say, take your time, it's okay, right? But that's not what happened. As I started to well up and I wasn't sure I could go forwards, one voice spoke up from the back of the room. It was the general and he said, go on. The underlying message is you're safe. And it, it, it struck me, it struck me so hard that in the private sector we say, take your time, it's okay, as if to say you're on your own. And in the military, they said, go on, as if to say, we're with you. It's making me cry now. And that's all we need right now. Like, if you're the one hurting, call someone who will listen. And if you're the one who gets the call, you don't need to fix anybody's problem. You don't need to give a rah-rah speech. You don't need to pep them up. You just need to say, go on. I'm with you. We'll go through this together. And it's the human relationship more than anything that matters more now. It was always important, but as I said before, crisis is the great revealer. And I pray that people are working on their relationships, their friendships, their families, their colleagues, their coworkers, because this is trauma and there's no avoiding trauma. I don't care how happy you are. I don't care how optimistic you are. There's no avoiding trauma. When COVID first hit, um, when COVID first hit, uh, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit that it was exciting, you know, and I talked to a few friends of mine who are entrepreneurs and secretly we were all enjoying ourselves because we all love disruption and it gave us an amazing opportunity to be creative and reimagine our businesses, which, you know, when you have a business that's operating, if you're an entrepreneur, you know, we, we love the madness and it gets stable. 
you know? And so we were all loving it. And we were hide, pretending, you know, we like we wouldn't talk about it publicly because we were embarrassed. And I called a friend of mine who's active duty military. And I asked him right at the beginning of COVID, I asked him about, um, I asked him about compartmentalizing our emotions. Cause I'm like, I'm really in a good place. And he said, be careful. Everyone is going through the trauma, everyone. And there's no avoiding trauma. He says, you can compartmentalize your emotions for a short period of time, like we do in combat, but we're going to have to deal with it at some point. He says, sometimes I don't get hit by the trauma of being in combat for four or five months after I get home. He says, he gave me a very stern warning. He says, you may be up now. He says, but you're going to have to deal with it at some point. And so I called all my A-type personality friends and I gave everybody the warning. And we all made a deal that when we started to feel it, we would call each other. And sure enough, on cue, four or five months into COVID, I was not doing well. And so I called up my same friend and I asked him no leading questions. I said, what are the symptoms when, when you start to feel the trauma? And he said, well, he falls off his sleep schedule. He starts going to bed really late for no reason and doesn't want to get out of bed in the morning. I'm like, yep. He says um, he finds himself, he has an unproductive day and he gives himself a, you know, a, a, a gimme. He says, it's okay, I need a day off. This is fine, but then he has another one and another one and another one. And, and then he starts to feel guilty. And then he, and I said to myself, yep. And then he says, and he doesn't want to talk to people or be around people and he becomes really antisocial. And I went, yep. And so I was suffering the trauma. I was suffering through the trauma of COVID. Um, and I wasn't happy. And the first thing I did was come clean. I said to him, that's what I'm feeling. How, what do I do? What do you do? He said, well, the funny thing is those things help me fix the problem too. He says, I force myself to get back on a sleep schedule. I try and go to bed at the same time. And I force myself to call people and tell them that I'm struggling as opposed to disappearing. Um, and I called friends who are coaches and I called friends who I know are just good listeners. And I, I just, that's all I did that week is I tried to just feel like I wasn't alone. And it worked, my friends saved me. And so I'm, I'm here to tell everybody, like there is trauma, there's no avoiding it. And it's this entrepreneurial spirit, yes, it's wonderful, it's fantastic. And people deal with trauma differently. Some will have a hard time at the beginning and then they'll be fine. Some like me had an easy time at the beginning and they got hit in the middle. Some will deal with it up and down, up and down throughout. There's no right or wrong way to do it, but you just, it's the relationships that will take care of us and it's the relationships that will take care of our businesses also. Uh, Simon, thank you so uh, much Simon, for sharing. I, that, I know that was so another layer, sharing, but it, I, I think it's probably the most valuable layer. part is when, when we reveal ourselves like you've just done over the last few minutes. So I really appreciate you going to that place. Um, we do have a couple more founders who I know would love to jump in and say hi and ask you another question if, you, if, you're, if you're up to that. Yeah. Do not apologize. Um, yeah. It's... That, that's the important part is going going to the going to the places that that really reveal who we are and where we've what we've been through because people make that's where the connections are made so thank you so much um next we have tali who's the founder of sheer chemistry so sheer chemistry is an e-commerce platform that specializes in types for women of all shades of brown so tali if you are waiting in the wings come and join us um on the on the virgin startup stage i know you were here a minute ago mm -hmm. here she is talia hi welcome hello hello um thank you so much for having me um i completely i you were saying just then simon in terms of um the trauma of covid i've i've definitely been there um so my question is um so i started my business because i wanted to create a more diverse um, perception of beauty and empower women of color to feel confident and gorgeous in their own skin. Um, there are times, however, especially during this um, challenging time, and um, that I'm overcome with crippling self-doubt, and I question whether I'm the person for the job, and I question whether um, I this cause really can change the world. So what um, strategy would you suggest um, when overcome with these reoccurring moments of self-doubt? Well, congratulations, <laughs> you're human. Um, <laughs> um, uh, if, not who, mm. if not you, who? Mm -hmm. And if not now, when? 
Um, but I think that, um, you know, I, this idea of change the world is overused in, in the entrepreneurial mm -hmm. world. I mean, change the world. Really? Really change the world? That's what's going to happen? You know, that's mm -hmm. not actually your ambition. Your ambition isn't to change the world. It's to change, it's to profoundly and positively change the lives of, of mm -hmm. people who need what you have. Now, will mm -hmm. that change the world? Maybe. But, but bring it yeah. down a few thousand feet. Because the world is inhuman. Literally, it is a big ball of rock, right? But, but, to, but tell me the name of someone who's, who smiled and said thank you to you because of your product. Tell me their name. Um, Whitney. Tell me one name. Okay, do it for Whitney. Tell me um, another name. Marcia. Okay, Marcia. Yeah. You know the names of the people that your product and your work and your effort and your sweat mm -hmm. and your self-doubt, you know the names of the people whose lives mm -hmm. you have changed. Put their photographs, just a couple of them, you don't need many, put their photographs mm. on your desk. Rem remind yourself mm. of their stories. You're doing it for them. It is an act yeah. of service. And the more you can connect the value of your work directly to the human beings whose lives are impacted mm. by your work, the more inspired you become. And when you have those moments of crippling doubt, call mm. one of them. So that's what happened to me. I was writing the book, Leaders Eat Last. It was the most difficult thing I've ever done. It was impossible to organize all of this information. It was just ridiculous. I couldn't do it. I'd missed multiple, multiple deadlines. The publisher was frustrated with me. I was frustrated with myself. And I got to the point where I gave up. I couldn't do it. And so I literally pushed my chair back from my desk and I went for a walk to plan my exit. I was literally planning my, how I was going to quit. And I went through a checklist. Like I'd have to give my advance back to the publisher because technically I'd be in breach mm -hmm. of contract because I didn't complete the project. I'd have to tell my friends I can't do it and I'd be humiliated. I'd have to tell my fans I'm not the book that I told you about. Mm -hmm. It's not happening. I'd be humiliated, but I would get over it. You know, and I was literally mentally preparing myself for all the steps of quitting, even so far as rationalizing that quitting was okay. There were thousands of new books every year. People aren't going to miss one book, right? And what I did is exactly the advice I'm, I'm offering you. I picked up the phone and I called my friend uh, Paul, um, who uh, was in the Air Force Special Forces at the time. And I knew he, was a, a, he, he, liked, he liked my work and had benefited from my work. And I picked up the phone and I asked him a simple question. I don't even think I said hello. I picked up the phone and I said, what do you do when you can't complete the mission? And as is his nature, he started telling me a story. And he told me a story about when he was in Afghanistan, he, that he used to fly helicopters and they were assigned to go on a mission. They were ordered to go on a mission that was a suicide mission, that all the intelligence showed that the air defenses were so great that they were all gonna get shot down, they were all gonna get killed. Um, and it wasn't like a kill Hitler mission, like you're all gonna die, but you're gonna kill Hitler. You know, this was like, you're all gonna, gonna, oh, you're wow. all gonna die and the mission will fail, right? It was literally a pointless suicide mission. And he told me how, as they were preparing their helicopters, his wingman said to him, what do we do? We've got wives, we've got kids. Do we refuse to go? What, what, what do we do? And he turned to his wingman and said, this is what we signed up yeah. for. We go. Well, the mission was scrapped, thank goodness. Um, but then he asked me, he said, Simon, is this new book more or less powerful than your first book? I said, it's affected my life. The research has affected my life more than the first one. He said, okay, I'll tell you a funny little story. He said, I was disillusioned with the Air Force. I wanted to quit. I was done with it. And I read this funny little book called Start With Why, long before I ever met you. And it completely inspired me. And I decided to stay in the Air Force. I'm a better leader because of it. If you're telling me this second book is more powerful, he says, we need this book. He says, this is what you signed up for. You have no choice. And again, the underlying message is, and I'm here. He wasn't giving me tough love. He was telling me that if not you, who? And if not now, when? And by the way, you're not alone. And so when you have those moments of crippling self-doubt, call mm. Whitney and say, I'm not sure I can do this. And let her just tell her, tell her your story. You're doing it for people, not to change the world. You're doing it for human beings with names and lives and insecurities and fears. 
and you are filling those gaps for them. Such a powerful answer, Simon. Tyler, thank you for that question, which triggered that brilliant answer. We have one more founder, which we want to we want to try and squeeze in here. Um, Thank you, Simon. This founder um, has has, uh, started a number of businesses, so um, we'll have some interesting experience to share as well. Um, So, if we could welcome our fourth uh, founder onto the stage. And then we can start to get people ready to go off and have conversations with each other. So, um, oh, there's so much here. We get these, these stories are on a roll now, Simon. I can feel it coming faster and faster each time. It's wonderful. Um, is our fourth founder there? Oh, oh, lovely to see you, Simon. Lovely to see you, Ben. Lovely to know, know that Holly's uh, listening Hi, in. Um, and um, yeah, con- congratulations on everything. I've just been uh, lis- listening to you, Simon, as, and, and, and always inspired by you. So thank you. Um, thank you, Richard. The feeling so, um, uh, well, I'll ask the first question. Um, entrepreneurs are great at finding uh, creative solutions to problems and, and, or finding ways to do things better than they're currently being done. Um, so if you were starting a business right now, uh, what problem would you be setting out to solve and why? Oh, that's a good question. Um, uh, it, I think I think that we, the problem that I would like to help solve these days is how we relate to each other. You know, I think we're all blaming our politicians for our divided nations. And I think our politicians, for example, are simply a reflection of us. They're mirrors of us. They They don't lead us, they follow us. They, they look at us and they try and mirror us so that they can get, so they can get themselves elected. And I think that we are currently living in a time where we're more judgmental, where we're very bad at listening. Um, we, we've, we've, we think everything is black and white. We don't understand the world is actually mostly gray. If I'm right, you must be wrong. Like that there's no such thing as that we're both right and we're both wrong. Um, and I think there's just a lot of human skills that are, that are missing. Um, I think we need to learn empathy. I think we need to learn how to give and receive feedback, how to have difficult conversations. I mean, when when the Black Lives Matter movement um, showed up, a, a lot of leaders did nothing, not because they're bad people. It's because they were stuck. They had no idea what to do. They didn't know how to have a difficult conversation. Well, if you can have a, learn the skill to have a difficult conversation about race, you can have yeah, a difficult conversation about anything. Um, so I, 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 I would I would love to try and help teach us to all be a little more human. Completely agree. Lord knows we all um, need it. It reminds me, um, a while ago, I was in Marrakesh and, and uh, played tennis with this incredible tennis player um, and uh, asked him afterwards what he did. And he said, well, slightly embarrassingly, I'm the old, eldest son of the Koch brothers. Now, the Koch brothers uh, are, have funded, you know, um, a, lot of, you know, a lot of Republicans and a lot of people are fairly far to the right. Um, so, um, but we liked each other. So we said, I said, let, let, right, let's sit down and let's make a list of all the things we, uh, agree on and all the things we disagree on. And, um, and we sat down and I would say 90% of things we agreed on. And, and, you know, so here's somebody who's from this spectrum, uh, talking to somebody from that spectrum. And actually when you, when you sit down and talk to somebody, you'll, you'll find that, that your differences are, are actually most likely very small. Um, you know, I just had a similar conversation with somebody else who was upset with us for funding something called the Bail Project, which was letting poor people have a chance to come out of prison in America. Um, and he was saying, you, you know, you're going to put these people on the streets and they're going to kill my sons. And, uh, uh, and you know, it, it was good to hear it from his, from his point of view. Um, and, um, you know, I, I happen to disagree. And actually, it's not us putting the people on the streets. It's the judges who decide you know, who's safe to release. But, um, you know, but I think we've all got to just sort of sit down with um, people we disagree with. It could be our partners, um, could be our wives or our husbands, um, could be our children, and just, and, you know, it could be business things and, and just try to work out um, what, what it is that, um, you know, where, 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 where we agree on things, which is the ma- most important thing. And we'll find that the one or two little things that we disagree on are insignificant. It's so true. It's so true. R- Richard, if I, if I can, I, w- I want to share a story. I don't even know if you remember this conversation we had, but it was a, it was a while ago. And I think it was the first time that I'd, I'd had the opportunity to actually sit down and talk to you. Um, uh, and so I, was, I think I was nervous when I was talking to you. 
And I, and I, I asked you the question, how, how should we judge you? Like, what have you built over the course of your career at Virgin? Like, what aspect of Virgin are you proudest of that when your time comes, we will look back and say, Richard Branson was a great man because of X. And you turned to me and you, you got a little bit stern with me. And you said, do not judge me for anything that I've done at Virgin. You said, if you want to judge the quality of my life, you judge me by the quality of my children. And uh, I've, I've told that story so many times to explain that legacy lives on in people, not in businesses. And the impact we have in the lives of human beings is, is the thing that we will give to the world. The lessons we've learned, the, 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 the philosophies we have, that, that we, we live on through people. And if they continue to build our businesses or not is, is secondary. And I've been, I was so struck by that. And, and uh, I, I've shared that story so many times. Thank you. I remember, remember a number of our conversations together and they've always been uh, very inspiring. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, well, it's, it's so critical to try to bring up your kids uh, so, so that they can be proud of themselves um, and they can fulfill their dreams. They can go down you know, the, the path that they want to, you know, they, they want in life rather than the path that you want for them in life. And, um, and yeah, I, 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 we, 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 we as a family have been very lucky having um, Polly and Sam and, and they're both, both great kids. Holly and Sam are fantastic. Now, Richard, so, we have we so have eight hundred more of your it's a uh, not, not quite children, but your Virgin Startup Founders community uh, watching and listening in right now. So I'm sure they would love to hear uh, your perspective on the question that actually you, you just asked Simon, which is what problems do you think uh, founders and small businesses should be working on right now? Where should what should we be focusing on? Well, first of all, um, uh, uh, it's great. It's great. I can't see you in person, but it's great to know that 800 of you are out there. Um, and um, you know, it was some years ago that I went to um, uh, uh, yeah, David Cameron and, and um, you know, and, and said, look, you, you give these loans for um, people to go to university. You should also do loans for people to uh, set up businesses. And um, and. You know, obviously, great that the Virgin team have been helping helping in the background um, with mentoring and, and the like. Um, I think that, um, that that as far as you know, I mean, all eight hundred people that are on this on this call um, will have, will have started a business for what one reason only, uh, or the main reason only, and that is because they think they can make a, a difference in other people's lives in the idea that they've they, they've conceived. Um, and you know how positive the difference you can make in other people's lives. Your business is likely to be that much more successful. Um, and uh, the you know, the people who work for you are going to be that much more committed if, if you've created something which uh, everybody can feel really really proud about. Um, uh, so I, I don't need to sort of tell people what to do if they if they if they see a gap in the market, they feel it's being badly run by other people. Um, or they have an idea which is brand new, just um, screw it, just do it. It's, it's my favorite. And and, and the, the book that you wrote, Screw Business as Usual, was that actually it seems like it was quite a long time ago now compared to the where, where the conversation has got to, and it played an important part in terms of thinking about purposeful business, and Simon has taken that conversation on to, to a huge audience over the last few years. Um, how are you seeing that become how are you seeing that spread in 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 the communities that you're part of and, and in the startup world and are there examples that you're really inspired by at the moment and perhaps simon there may be some from you as well um i think that when, when you start off in business you can draw a very small circle around yourself and um you know maybe around your street and you know and um, try to use the people that you're working with and yourself to try to improve the lives of people in your street. Um, and then as your business gets bigger, it can be your city or your uh, country. And then ultimately, ultimately, it can be the world. Um, and, um, you know, I think there, there are a lot of disadvantages of being well-known. Um, one of the advantages of being well-known uh, through, through one's on, entrepreneurial activities, etc., is that I, is that I can pretty well pick up the phone to any any anyone in the world and and get through, um, and 
I think if you're in a position to be able to do that, um, you know, like Simon is as well, um, if, if you're in a position to be able to do that, it would be dreadful to waste waste that position. You can, you can, um, uh, you know, we, 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 I've just been on the phone to the African CDC, um, uh, you know, the, very originally, the, the, the Center for Disease Control in Africa didn't exist, and uh, through knowing Tabum and Becky, um, and then you know President Zuma, it, we managed to get it up and going. Um, you know, and 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 so I think the I think that um, uh, you've got to be an, as entrepreneurial on your philanthropy side. You know, using uh, you know using whatever 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 you've got, the clout of yourself. Um, your, your financial resources, the team around you, um, to help um, tackle some of the issues in the world, and sometimes very small, sometimes bigger. And how do you pick between them, Richard? Because you've tackled so many different, a whole variety of different issues, uh, socially, environmentally. Uh, which ones, do, you know, is it heart first, or what drives you to decide, I'm going to really put energy into this? Um. I think it's we, we try um, to choose the ones where we feel we've got an edge to make a difference. Um, um, you know, like we set up an organisation called the Elders um, about 12, 13 years ago, um, uh, and uh, with Nelson Mandela and Russia Michelle and Archbishop Tutu and President Carter and others, Mary Robertson and so on, and and they go into conflict regions and try to resolve conflicts um, and. You know, my feeling was if, if, if there's a conflict, everything, everything breaks down. I mean, look at Yemen right now. It's, it's a, night, a nightmare. Um, so if you can get in early on into a, in a conflict um, and knock heads together, um, you can avoid an awful lot of misery. And so we look at, you know, there's, if there's something of that kind of magnitude that we can uh, use, our, uh, you know, use our skills of sort of setting up an organization, use our skills that getting other people to come in and join you on the funding, um, uh, then we'll give it a go. Fantastic. Simon, what's your, what's your, any other questions you'd like to, or, or thoughts to share with Richard before we jump, jump on? Well, the thing, the, the thing that I think is consistent in all of Richard's work, whether it's business or philanthropy, and it's sort of the, the great lesson to learn for all of us, is there's a service mentality. There's a giving rather than a taking mentality. Um, uh, you know, profit is the, is the, comes second after somebody has value in their lives that you've, as he said, you know, you go into a market where somebody else runs that, r runs that industry there's poorly. Um, that's what the opportunity is, to give to people, to offer them something better. Um, uh, even, in, even in Virgin's careers, you know, they don't, they, don't, they don't strike success in every business they go into, but the ones they tend to do better is they, they come into, into places where customers have a history of being abused or offered substandard anything. Um, and Virgin offers them, you know, uh, some color in a, in a, in a sea of gray. Um, and, but it's always with a giving mentality. It's always with how can I help make people's lives better? And, and Richard does that in business and he does that in philanthropy. And I think that is the great formula for entrepreneurship. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the dirty secret, which is if you show up to give rather than take, you're more likely to succeed. And I think, uh, I think a lot of people show up for themselves, but it's really the opposite. Well, thank, thank, thank you, thank you both, and um, it's been great talking to you. And um, uh, and um, see you, see you, see you both soon, and hopefully meet um, many, many of you who are on this call one, one, one day in the future. Anyway, thank you. Thank you, thank you so much, Richard and Simon. Good to see you, Richard. Good, <laughs> yeah, what was good, the startup? Good luck with your startup. Didn't get that. Damn. Oh, you never know who's going to jump on these days, Simon. Listen, um, we're going to oh, say thank you to you as well, because I know you, you've got lots of optimism to spread throughout the rest of your day. But um, I, I look for someone in a community of people that have been really helped by your work and you're putting yourself out there in the world. Um, we're grateful for that as well as your time tonight. But I'm especially grateful for that 10 minute section where you basically let your guard down. Um, I, I don't think it was planned, but I feel like that's probably the thing that's had a real impact tonight, as well as all your fantastic stories um, beyond that. So Simon, it's wonderful to connect with you. Thank you for your work. Um, we're here whenever you have one of those dips again. So stay close. All the best. You've been listening to a Virgin Startup podcast. 
Virgin Startup are a not-for-profit organization set up to help founders start up and thrive. Don't be shy. Let us know what you thought by leaving a review whenever you listen to your podcast. And to find more about how we can help you start and scale your business, head over to virginstartup.org. Thanks to our friends at Virgin Money, we're able to make our meetups free to attend, providing thousands of early stage founders with the support they need to start and scale businesses in the UK. Virgin Money are here to disrupt the status quo. They want everyone to have a much happier relationship with money. Through their brilliant colleagues, inspiring spaces and digital solutions, they are doing everything they can to offer a life more virgin. They provide a full range of banking products and services to help founders at every stage of their business journey. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and you'll join us next time for more founder stories.